Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans. The home of the all of the fans. My name is Sam Dingman. Your still reporter, as always, Alan Smith. <laughs> Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. Talking about stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in case we sound a little stupid to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Smith is once again valiantly coming to you from the field. Alan, you're uh, inside a Toyota Corolla at the moment? I am uh, inside a to- Toyota Corolla embedded with a series of guerrilla fighters in Sri Lanka. So if you hear any background noise, it's because I am deep in the field um, and we are currently uh, trying to sack a major city. <laughs> Well, whatever you're doing, clearly Orioles baseball is more important, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. I would say that a good quarter of my brain at any given time is operational with Orioles baseball anyway, so shifting over to 100% at any given moment, not that big a deal. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to remind you that we are a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. This is our second episode under that proud banner, and you can find us and all of the shows that are a member of the network by going to baltimoresportsreport.com and clicking on network. But if you just want to check out our jams, you can go to baltimoreonspodcast.com, click on uh, show archive, you can listen to all our shows there, click on contact us, find us on Twitter at bmorons, email us, baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com, call us 909-RIBWARS, but if you're going to do oh, all that, <laughs> and when we get through all that. <laughs> yeah, we have we have a couple of thoughts for you about uh, the Alex Rodriguez situation. Indeed, um, we do. We, because um, I am not unfortunately in New York City, our red phone to Dan Duquette uh, was disconnected this week. Um, although he will be joining us. We, uh, we worked out kind of an alternate arrangement with Dan this week to, to provide some, some, some of the top quality Dan Duquette-ness that you've come to expect from us here on the show. And, of course, we uh, will be getting to some really fantastic listener emails from uh, y'all later on in the program. But first. But first. This is, of course, episode 61, which... Obviously, everyone who is a baseball fan, immediately their mind goes to the same place, right? I mean, everyone thinking about the number 61 as a winning cribbage score, I think that that's just generically where all of our minds go, right? <laughs> the number of home runs hit by Roger Maris, uh, and the in the minds of many of us, uh, myself and Chris Davis included, the real home run number for a single-season record uh, of an unused person. Of course, it should be remembered that the number 61, when Roger Maris hit it, came with a gigantic asterisk as he passed Babe Ruth, not because he was juicing, but because he had more games to do it in. So, asterisks have become a tried-and-true part of the number 61 in, in baseball. Um, and the home runs record in general is usually an asterisk thing. You know what number is not asterisk, Sam? Number 61? Which number? The number of career shutouts by both Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver. Well, now. They both threw 61 career shutouts. Really? Which, frankly, takes the number of 61 home runs and basically puts it in the corner. Because 61 times they went nine complete innings and did not allow a run. 
they both managed to do it 61 times over the course of their illustrious Hall of Fame careers. Do you do you think we're ever going to see another starting pitcher throw 61 career shutouts? Absolutely not. I don't think we're ever going to see another starting pitcher throw 20 career shutouts. <laughs> no, I mean, the, 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 the way people watch pitch counts, the way people uh, have begin, begun to think about complete games, the way that uh, young guys are having Tommy John surgery at the right age of 17, you know, I don't think that there's any um, – people – ace pitchers are worth too much to teams right now to ever consider that kind of stress. Yeah. I wonder if we're ever going to see somebody throw 10 complete games in a season again. Yeah, I, I would say almost certainly not. However, 61, Sam, there is one more number that I think is relevant to where we're going for the rest of this program. Okay. If Alex Rodriguez – never played another game of Major League Baseball. Yeah. He would still be paid $61 million. Oh, come on. Really? Is it actually $61 million? So, uh, as I understand it, um, his 10-year, $275 million contract with the Yankees runs through 2017, right? Yeah. So, at the worst-case scenario right now, he's looking at a ban of 215 games. Yes, I think so. Now... So that means he's, at the worst-case scenario, not going to be eligible to be paid again because you're not paid while you're suspended until mid-2015. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, he's due $21 million for 2015 and $20 million for each of the following two seasons. Yeah. So assuming he's paid again for, for, uh, for 2015, then he will be paid a total of $21 million, $20 million, and $20 million, even if he's retired at that point. Because he's still on the Yankees' books, they still have to pay him uh, as a as a contracted employee. Man, well, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think we can we we should just be secure in the fact, Alan, that he is going to make more money by not playing the or or not doing the job that he has been hired to do for the next year and a half and then doing it poorly for three years or retiring early, he's going to make more money in that time than you and I will ever make combined. I would like to point something out to all of the people who are currently considering Alex Rodriguez as a Yankee. Um, I am much better at not playing baseball than Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> so if anyone looking to employ someone to not play the game of baseball... I would like to point out that I would not embarrass the franchise. I would not constantly be starting ridiculous stories and going behind everyone's back to doctors. I would be a much more model non-baseball player than Alex Rodriguez currently is. And I'm willing to do it for a pittance compared to what you're paying Alex Rodriguez. Just, just, I just want all the staff to consider that. <laughs> uh, Brian Cashman, are you listening? <laughs> Alex Rodriguez plays a certain role in what I would consider to be the American zeitgeist of the moment. And if I had to boil that zeitgeist down to two words, do you know what those two words would be? I don't. Due process. <laughs> okay. Okay. The innocent until proven guilty. Now, now bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, because I'm not going to sit here and claim Alex Rodriguez as an innocent. But I... <laughs> I do think 
that if you are a person who believes in the fundamental principles that make America an amazing place, uh, you you would have to agree that Bud Selig, as the commissioner of baseball, should not be able to unilaterally void Alex Rodriguez's contract without due process. Um, sure. To expand and become a bit more expansive on this idea, I, I think uh, the, the ravenousness with which a lot of people have said, yeah, that's right, he should be banned for life. He shouldn't get a dime of that money that he's, that he's contractually obligated to receive. Because certainly, certainly, we all read the Miami New Times article. We know that he did all these things at uh, the Biogenesis Clinic. Uh, we don't know what information the Major League Baseball is privy to in this investigation. All we know is that they have looked at whatever information they have and decided that this is the punishment they would like to levy. Uh, Alex Rodriguez is part of a union, and as a member of a union, and unions are an extremely important part of the United States, Alex Rodriguez should have the option of appealing that decision. He should have protection. Much as I hate the guy, that is something to which he should be entitled. Uh, No evidence that he failed a drug test has been presented or made public. So, really... We need, to, we need to rely on the system that has been put in place because the alternative is for one of the biggest uh, professional sports corporations in the entire country to have somebody at the top of it who is allowed to exercise free reign over people's salary and livelihood. And, and we can't have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have been a proponent from the day of Ryan Braun sort of admitting some sort of questionable guilt and stepping aside um, without us ever knowing, A, what he was admitting of, and B, what he was accused of, and C, sort of, you know, why the uh, suspension was as long as it was. Um, And then if you look back at the NFL last year, there were a series of suspensions for quote-unquote steroid use where uh, the NFL never released what substance people tested positive for, and as a result, the uh, suspension was just a four-game suspension, and the guys could all claim that they just took an Adderall or they took an Abutrol inhaler or something, and that's what set up a positive drug test. So it does make a lot of sense to me that we need to get a specific discussion here about why we are accusing people, what we are accusing them of, and doing that first in the court of law, and then in public appeal. I mean, and then in the court of public opinion. Right, in that order. I do think that 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 needs to be something that is out there in the world. However, I find a little bit of trouble with this particular incident because I think that Alex Rodriguez is not coming into this situation as guilt-free as any of the other examples. Because he's already admitted that he's used steroids, he's already confessed to the process, and he's already put himself in a series of other bad situations around being a cancer in the Yankees clubhouse. So, you know, I, I think that that he specifically, while I don't think his actions have been egregious enough for Bud Selig to move to move unilaterally in their shape or form without telling us what the hell is happening or why, I do think that the example of him being someone who should, you know, get clean and uh, fair, uh, that we, we, he should be innocent until proven guilty. That's all well and good, but he's already been proven guilty. I guess what I'm saying is that I don't want 
in our internet rabble rousing for us to decide that uh, due process and the rule of law need to go out the window because most of us agree that our morals are in the same place. Because that system, uh, you know, once we get to that place, we have set up... Then we're doing, then we're doing mob law. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, I mean, I guess that... That all of that sort of leads into my next thing here, which is that there has been a lot of discussion about um, uh, Bud Selig and Major League Baseball um, employing what has been called thug tactics in its treatment of the players, um, ah. which which I think is is absolute garbage because the Major League Baseball <laughs> Players Union is is one of the strongest labor unions in the entire country, and. If any of these players who have been fingered in this investigation wanted to say, uh, no proof has been made public of any wrongdoing that I did, I appeal this decision, they could have done that very easily. It could have gone to arbitration. They could have uh, continued to play games while the investigation or the uh, the appeals process was was going forth. They didn't say that. They just rolled over instantly. So to me... Which is another, which is I think another part of the problem because we never, we still don't have any idea what they did. Like, did 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 was the was the positive case like a loss for the situation? Probably not. He probably wouldn't have gotten fifty games for that. But like, you know, like Nelson Cruz put forward that he took some drugs because he was super sick and he lost forty pounds in the off season. Okay, like if that's what's happening. You know, then shouldn't we shouldn't we address that? If that's actually what happened, isn't shouldn't we address that in the in the situation in which it happened? And like, shouldn't we moderate our suspension of him or our disbelief in him based on whether or not the doctors can verify if he lost forty pounds from a from a crazy stomach bug? Yeah, I mean, you know that that is a that is a very interesting point because if we it, when you look at it that way, it's sort of it, it leads you to believe like did all of these guys just roll over instantly because they knew that the appeals process would bring out worse crimes? As someone who does not trust the major league baseball to police itself, that's what my thought is. My thought is they're taking a minimum sentence, they're taking a slap on the wrist, and then they're getting the hell out of dodge because they know that this will now put them back on the. Uh, I've served my time and now I can play baseball again with instead of the like 19 pills a day, whatever the hell they were doing, right. like <laughs> actual bizarreness. Um, I, I, I think it's also interesting to look at this in the context of, uh, of thug tactics because thug is not the right word for Bud Selig. I, uh, <laughs> I, I would instead go with sanctimonious hypocrite. <laughs> Also, Gomer. works. Yeah. <laughs> because as you said, Alan, he and everyone else in Major League Baseball did not complain when the baseball was flying around the stratosphere all through the steroid era. So the idea that we're now going to take him seriously as this hard-charging crusader for moral justice is absurd. I'm glad he's doing it. But there, there really needs to be some sense of, of actual, like, humility about about this entire thing and and not just um a a decision at the very top that well now we're serious and now we're cracking down upon this uh and this is and completely if you're not gonna if you're not gonna put forward that that crackdown in the light of public opinion then you're not actually creating a crackdown as far as i'm concerned yeah agreed agreed um now speaking of uh speaking of a lack of humility i mm. I, I don't want anyone 
to think that anything that we are saying here should be construed as letting A-Rod off the hook. No, he's still a douchebag. Um, does he have a right to due process? Yes. But you watch him in these press conferences. I don't know if you've seen any of these press conferences, Alan. But I've tried very hard not to. <laughs> I, I salute that impulse. Because you watch him, and he has this weird tone that's like smug victimhood. It's like he knows that everyone hates him, and he's decided that he's never going to make them see it his way. So he's just going to adopt this attitude of, like, wry detachment. And the thing is, there is still a way to change people's minds about Alex Rodriguez, if you're Alex Rodriguez. But it's not to sit in a press conference and accuse the Yankees of colluding with Major League Baseball to steal your money. And it's not to respond to questions about getting booed by White Sox fans by saying, oh, I love Chicago and its people. What you should do if you're Alex Rodriguez and you really care about people respecting your career, what shreds of it there are that remain, you should, <laughs> you should sit there in the press conference and say, I just want to get back out on the field and play. There's a legal process going on, which I don't want to talk about. I just want to get back out there and play. And then they'll say, oh, Alex, but the fans are booing you and everyone hates you. And he should just say they're entitled to their opinion. I just want to play. Would that rehabilitate his image completely? Of course not. But it would give us at least some glimmer of hope that it's not so obviously just about money for him and this, and this weird respect that he thinks he's owed. I mean, I, I just can't shake the fact that his reactions and the way I've seen him quartered in the press just sounds like Barry Bonds to me. Yeah. It sounds like the exact same sort of like, I have done nothing wrong, and frankly, if you suggest I've done something wrong, that means you're a bad person and you're a racist for accusing me of such. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> seems like seems like uh, that there's there's a there's a there's a line that we have crossed in publicly condemning him, but there's a line that he crossed in clearly being an asshole. Yes. Well, and especially when, as you said, he has given interviews on ESPN where he said, like, yeah, you know what I did? I did do steroids, but it was just for this three year period and it was a stupid thing to do. And now he's addressing us with this tone of incredulity that we would ever right. think that he could possibly do anything wrong. And frankly, we do have a positive example of someone who has done this successfully, and he's on the New York Yankees. Are you talking about Pettit? I am. I mean, I think Andy Pettit is the, is the, is the symbol for me of someone who has, in my mind, played the game correctly, redeemed himself, at least in the sense of, like, public opinion, and is now back to playing baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know if I can go all the way to agreeing with you on that because I really don't like Andy Pettit. Um, oh, neither do I. Neither do I. I think, I, think, I, I think he's the devil, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I had not forgiven him personally, but I think if you look at like, the court of public opinion, right, yeah. he's not on the same list. All right, all right. So, uh, when you, so speaking of the court of public opinion, um, when we talk about people, other people who have been found guilty of using steroids, uh, we come to the question of the lifetime ban, um, which is what Major League Baseball reportedly wanted to impose on Alex Rodriguez. Um, so leaving aside the question of, of process, let's, let's just look at the lifetime ban as an idea. Um, and first of all, I want to say, I think it is, it is low down and it is nasty 
of the Yankees to be using fan outrage as a smokescreen for their support of the lifetime ban, when it is obviously, as usual, just about the goddamn money for them. That is so clearly uh-huh. their motivation. And while it's hard to see anything wrong with that from a rules standpoint strictly, it's, it's just classless. And, and not that we should be surprised, but the idea that the Yankees have... And, and when I say that they're supporting the lifetime ban, what I mean is that they haven't spoke, they, they haven't spoken out against the lifetime ban, uh, to my knowledge. Nobody from the organization that employs Alex Rodriguez and ostensibly wants him on the field as their third baseman because they're paying him $20 million a year to be that. Nobody from the organization has said, what lifetime ban? Oh, oh, no, we can't have that. Wouldn't you think that maybe someone in this organization that 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 uh, theoretically wants him as a baseball player would say that unless of course they were just mm-hmm. looking to get his contract off the books which they clearly are because even if they do want him for three million dollars a year to play third base he's not worth 20 million dollars a year and hasn't been for a long time absolutely not there's also this question of whether or not a rod for as much as we might revile him deserves to be one of the very few people in history to receive a lifetime ban from the sport, which I think right. should should clearly be reserved for, like, the true monsters. And it, it doesn't really seem right to me that A-Rod would get a lifetime ban when people like Rafael Palmero, Roger Clemens, and Mark McGuire, who lied to Congress about this stuff, are still yeah. sniveling around at the fringes of baseball being insufferable jackholes. I, I agree. I mean, I do think we should smack him with the 215 games or whatever it is and force the Yankees to play out the string on the worst contract of all time. But one of the biggest monsters the game has ever seen? I don't know about you, Alan, but personally, I would rather see them reinstate the ban on Marge Shot, posthumously, <laughs> I might add. Because do you I'm know, in. I'm in. Marge Shot was banned and then reinstated. How do you reinstate Marge Shot? <laughs> but I would rather I would rather see them reinstate the ban on Marge Shot or strip Mark McGuire of his job as the Cardinals batting coach before I think a lifetime ban is warranted for Alex Rodriguez. So I'm looking here at a list of people who have been lifetime banned, uh, and it usually happens for reasons of betting against oneself or, or associating with known gamblers. <laughs> I believe um, you're looking at the same Wikipedia article I did. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, you know, th- these are, these are uh, pretty bad. Also, I didn't know that Mickey Mantle and William Mays were in no way involved with baseball and they were banned in 1983 after they were hired by casinos in Atlantic City as readers and autograph signers. Yeah, well, I, before before steroids, the biggest bugaboo in baseball was: Have you ever, you know, been in the same hotel suite as a gambler? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I don't think that these things rank against. Well, maybe they do. Maybe maybe betting against oneself in baseball is about the same level of destroying the sanctity of the game, quote unquote. People spend so much time talking about as taking steroids. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a, a lot of the gambling stuff, it gets a little it gets a little mushier. But when you have when you have people who went to the halls of the United States Congress 
and stood up there in front of what is supposed to talk about due process stood up in front of the people who it is supposed to be the most uncool to lie to and just lied their chemically <laughs> shrunken balls off to and we still allow them to you know comment on national broadcasts and baseball games we allow them to work for major league baseball teams alex rodriguez is a giant asshole but he's never done anything quite that bad right it does it does it does uh does smack of trying to make an example of him and it does smack of the favorite team of the uh major league baseball getting off of a bad contract because of it <laughs> alan smith episode 61 of baltimoreans says what we've all been thinking the whole time, that the Yankees are the favorite team of Major League Baseball. They are. <laughs> yep. It's true. It is true. Look at the look at the the like lusty tongue wagging coverage that uh, the Yankees every twist and turn this year gets on MLB.com. They're like the captain takes his first swings, or like Teixeira's <laughs> wrist almost healed. Why are we giving that kind of coverage to a team that is three games over five hundred? Why are we doing that? I don't that? remember anyone uh, mentioning Brian Roberts' return. It it did not come up. It did not come up. Then and and as as I think we're all aware, that is a hero's journey we're talking about. <laughs> I think any objective observer would agree. I think also it must be noted that any objective observer would agree that we have gone uh, thirty five minutes into this podcast so far without mentioning the Orioles at all. Because the Orioles have not been good since we last had a podcast. <laughs> well, fortunately, Alan, uh, while I don't know um, what this what this tape that Dan Duquette sent us is, um, he did cryptically say in his email to us, uh, speaking of heroes' journeys, that um, he's been very interested in epic poetry lately. So, so maybe wow. we should uh, maybe we should just play it and and see maybe what he sent us. Jump right into that. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, coming up next on the show, Dan Duquette uh, with some mystery tape that arrived in our email inboxes just this morning. Uh, g- uh, good evening, uh, Baltimoreans listeners. Uh, this is Dan Duquette uh, recording uh, live from my Dan Cave. I'm sitting here in my uh, in my dandles, sipping on some Danisette, and I wanted to share with you a poem that I wrote. Um, it is it is called the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth Danny D. By thy stone bald pate and empty eyes, now wherefore stops thou me? I'm bound for San Diego, a Mai Tai and a bath. Crush is divine, the team is fine, why dost thou block my path? He holds him with his glittering dome, and Danny D stood still, and listens like a three years child, for Ibanez hath his will. Danny D silenced his phone, he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on that ancient man, the dead-eyed marineer. The lineup was full, the Bronx was cheered, merrily we did hack 
Through Tampa and through Boston, Toronto too we sacked. First place came upon us, yes, and though our grip was weak, and though the fight did raise our hairs, a pennant outward we did eke. The ALDS sang to us, we heard its siren call. Danny D here paused to state the mariner's meaning was forestalled. Danny D did crave his drink, but cannot choose but hear. And thus spake on that ancient man, the power-hitting marineer. At length did fly an aureole, through one-run games it came. A fluke, a trifle, we called it while our opponents it did maim. It won the fights it ne'er had won, and up the east it flew. The Bronx did split with a thunder fit, but Girardi steered us through. In mist or shroud the Oriole did fight for innings nine, till summer's end when it did send a shiver up our spine. And thus did I, an aged wraith, find courage in my soul. Through fog most thick I swept my stick and beat the Oriole. How long thereafter till it grew calm I have not to declare, but ere mid-August the next year I hear voices in the air. Is it he? quoth one. Is this the man? How baldness took its toll on he who with his ancient arms did slay the Oriole. The other was a softer voice, as soft as honey dew. Quoth she, That bird hath penance done, and penance more will do. Oops! Uh, uh, sorry, folks. Uh, that's my waiver alarm. Better go. The Mariners just released Jason Bay. To the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a part of the show where we are very privileged to share with you the communications that you have sent to us in response to our earlier episodes. Um, and Alan Smith, people can, if I'm not mistaken, get in touch with us. Aren't? Do we have mechanisms in place to do that? Um, most of them utilize the internet in one shape, way, or form. Uh, there is, of course, BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com. There is, of course, the uh, BaltimoreOnsPodcast at gmail.com. There is the Twitter at BMoreOns. And there is the phone number, 909-RIB-WARS. That's right. Imagine, ladies and gentlemen, an all-out battle for world domination fought between the bones in your torso. That would be a rib war, and if you dial 909-RIB-WARS, because who knows when the last rib war is finally going to take place. It's almost certainly going to be a plural thing. Um, do you think, I, by the way, I could give a more convoluted description of the phone number? Uh, I think we can, but I think we should save it in future episodes. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think that the gauntlet has been thrown. I, I, I think so. I, I'd like to see you come correct next week, Alan, with a more convoluted explanation of the phone number than I just gave. I, I think I can do it. All right. Well, you're on. Uh, in the meantime, why don't we get to the uh, <laughs> communications that we received this week? Uh, first up, 
one of our Baltimore Sports Report podcast network counterparts, Matthew Sroka from Section 336, uh, responded to our tweet. We tweeted, is your Feldmania subsiding? Are you feeling a strange longing for Wilson Bedemeet left-handed at-bats that you don't understand? To which he replied, Bedemeet has a wooden glove, a decent bat, but doesn't hit for power and can't hit lefties. But I miss him and can't explain why. I understand. I understand. It's uh, it's inexplicable, the missing, but, but there it is. There, there it is right there. The idea of um, even even a whisper of consistency uh, in the DH spot is is it has a certain a certain allure would you say I would and I would say that um, you know it, 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 it's definitely one of those situations where we've tried everything else so why not go with volleyball you tried the best now try the rest <laughs> And Wilson Bedemeet has certainly had a fair amount of rest. This is actually also sort of unkind, because one thing I didn't realize until I was uh, reading about this the other day is that in addition to having a really just truly horrendous knee injury, uh, apparently Wilson Bedemeet has also had a couple people in his family die this year. It, it's been a Brian Robertsian year for Wilson Bedemeet. Oh, oh geez. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you listened to our show last week, you know that we talked about John Mayer more than anyone who runs a baseball podcast should. Um, more than anyone who, who runs any kind of podcast, really, unless your podcast is <laughs> uh, uh, brief and uninteresting mentions of John Mayer lyrics.com. Um, I don't know why you put the .com in your podcast title, but anyway, uh, Jake, who is one of the hosts of the Bird's Eye View podcast, one of our other counterparts in the Baltimore Sports Report Network, um, had some feelings, some feels, about our treatment of the John Mayer issue. He writes, Sam's fixation on slipping in John Mayer tunes was a fantastic addition to episode 60. I have written, however, to lodge a couple of complaints. Number one, you misidentified <laughs> Continuum as being a John Mayer album and did not mention its significance as being the last John Mayer album in the non-douche era. Continuum is special. Uh, that's, a, that's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big gap. I, I agree with him. This was a glaring omission on our part. He says, Continuum is special. It is the last bit of great music he turned out before his personal life jumped the shark. Number two, slow dancing in a burning room is not a deep cut. We, uh, ladies and gentlemen, referred to the song Slow Dancing in a Burning Room as a deep cut. Jake writes, when an album like Continuum has so many good tunes, you can't call the good ones deep tracks. <laughs> that is a fair criticism. That's like, calling, <laughs> <laughs> that's like calling Billie Jean a deep track simply because it was track six on Thriller. When, of course, everyone knows that the great deep track on that album is Paul McCartney's appearance on The Girl Is Mine, But I Digress. <laughs> All excellent points so far, and uh, really sort of bringing to the fore our musicology failing. Yes. Uh, number three, gravity and slow dancing are excellent choices, but you lost points with me for referencing the bubblegum pop that is Your Body is a Wonderland, which should be called College Girls of the Early Aughts, Take Off Your Clothes. Um, <laughs> Now I would love to I would love to say here, Alan, like, yeah, that's what it should be called. Worked for me every time. 
but uh, that would not be a true story. <laughs> did you? Uh, I understand. Did you? Did you have any successful romantic adventures, courtesy John Mayer? Uh, certainly not. <laughs> well, uh, it 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 sounds like Jake may be implying that he did. Uh, he'll have to clarify that for us. He uh, he continues three bits of advice when it comes to consuming John Mayer tunes. One, do not ever allow yourself to take a spin through room for squares without getting to three by five. It is simply too good. And if you try to call it a deep track, I will drive to New York to fight you. He says, number two, do not let stop this train hit your iPod on a significant milestone birthday. Hearing it on my 30th was a total dagger. Oh, man. Do you know that song? Stop this train? Yeah, very, very, very vaguely. Not well, but. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, anybody who knows the song knows exactly what Jake's talking about. If you don't know the song, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, you're going to need to sacrifice, to take the hit on this one and listen to it and think about how awful it would be to hear that song on your 30th birthday. <laughs> number three. When, well, it's, it's grim. It's grim. It, it really is. Uh, number three, when mixing Orioles baseball and John Mayer, the best reference is clearly 1983. Alan? That, th- yeah, that, that, this is the part of the, you know, where I just had to put my head between my legs and uh, essentially give up on Orioles podcasting. Yeah. Which you'll notice, again, we have essentially done this episode. This is, this is uh, we've reached a new low in talking about the Orioles on this week's show, I would say. I think that's fair. <laughs> that's what the network's for. We, we let the other shows uh, talk, about, talk about Orioles baseball. We like tend to mix in a little bit more of the, you know, current events, John Mayer, <laughs> uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, that kind of thing. Exactly. The whole, the whole political, socioeconomic, historical, rhetorical bit. Yeah, yeah. The context in which actual Orioles analysis might take place if it happened on this show. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, well. D- just to just by way of saving a bit of face here, Alan, at the end of the show, I believe you had a question for the listeners. We do have a final question of the week this week, um, which is uh, looking forward, given the uh, once again huge number of arms that have been a part of the Orioles starting rotation during this year's season. Who do we think will be the Orioles starting five over the last five games as they get ready for the playoffs? The last five standing. The last five standing. Is it going to be the new Jacks? Solomon Norris? Is uh, Jason Hamill going to come off the DL and be able to pitch again? Uh, Is... uh, Chen going to once again run out of gas. He's had a longer break this year than last. Uh, will we see anybody who's currently in the minors making another major league appearance? Well, uh, it should be noted that uh, that uh, Mr. Ted Lilly was just turned down by the San Francisco Giants earlier today because they found, and, and I, I hope you're sitting down for the shock I'm about to reveal to you, Alan. Apparently... They discovered some medical issues in his history and decided that he might not be a safe bet. What? I know. It's it's shocking. However, how do you feel about Ted Lilly in the black and orange? Uh, I, uh, I, I feel about him like I feel about Scott Feldman and Bud Norris. Um. <laughs> uh, all right, folks. Well, that is going to do it for episode 61. 
right here on Baltimoreans. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember to go over to baltimoreanspodcast.com, get in touch with us. Uh, and also please remember to check out all of our sister wife podcasts at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, uh, which again is at baltimoresportsreport.com. Click on network to check everybody out. Um, the music on the show, as always, featured our theme song by Marshall York, our interstitial music, which is the song Birdland by Weather Report, and behind us now, it's the Black Crows with Kicking My Heart Around. Alan, any final thoughts? Um, well, uh, the trip from Sri Lanka to Bangalore was nice, but I'm looking forward to being back in New York next year. <laughs> week! Week! <laughs> Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>